Welcome to Hazel's Story, an epic saga podcast. We're here to dive into the panels and pages of Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples' comic book, Masterpiece, unpacking the amazing characters, themes, and weirdness in this grand space opera. My name's Abu. And I'm Alan. And Alan, we're back, doing our thing, deep dive into the rest of Volume 5 today. So excited. The front half of Volume 5 was a little bit rough. Uh, a lot of character building, a lot of feelings, but yeah. here we are with the back half of volume five, and there is a shit ton of things that happen in these chapters. Some of it is, I'm just going to say disturbing, and some of it is pretty sad. So that sounds like saga. <laughs> Indeed. Before we dive into today's reading, of course, let's take care of some housekeeping. First and foremost, a spoiler warning. As always, today's deep dive read-along episode has no spoilers beyond chapter 30. So as long as you've done the reading and you've completed volume five, you are good to go for today. And also just a friendly reminder that we love to hear from you, our listeners. You can email us at hazelstory at lauraparty.com and just anything you're thinking about, about Saga, about Abu, about myself, about life. And mostly what we've really loved hearing from listeners recently is episode ideas. We put a call out a couple of episodes ago for maybe a new segment or new episode format ideas. We've gotten a couple of these from some listeners who've written in over the last couple of weeks and we wanted to share. Abu, who was our first email from? So first up was a listener named Al, which is perhaps short for Alan. Mm, excellent name. Excellent name. <laughs> Al wrote in from Warren, Michigan with this idea. Quote, maybe a dive into the to be continued section. Like this Saga podcast, it is great to hear and share in the love for something. The Saga Facebook page is weird and over-moderated. The Saga subreddit is great, especially if you have a Saga tattoo to show off, LOL. (laughs) That's so real. (laughs) In the end, though, the to-be-continued is more intimate. It is really the best part of Saga fandom. Explore the different aspects, maybe? The past surveys, the costume contests, fan representation, each of your favorite letters. Just an idea. I might be biased, though. My best birthday gift ever took place in the To Be Continued. End quote. I love that so much. Al, thank you so much for writing in. And just to explain a little bit for folks who've only read the collected volumes of Saga, like the the trade paperbacks that have six chapters in each one, when the book comes out in single issue or single chapter form, the little floppy comic book version, there's a section at the back of each issue called, quote, to be continued. Mm -hmm. And it's where Brian K. Vaughn answers fan letters and emails. And when Saga was at its peak, this letters column, to be continued, grew into this amazing fan community where Brian and Fiona would actively engage. So, and there were these amazing reader surveys, as Al mentions, where they would ask their fans to like fill out this survey telling them about themselves with some really bizarre ass questions for sure about like life and death (laughs) and just weird shit. We actually, when we did our quick reaction to chapter 56, if you go back, Abu and I actually took the reader survey that was with that chapter. So if you want to check that out. Right. But also going all the way back, there was always a costume contest every year in the To Be Continued. It's honestly a great reason to read the individual chapters and a great idea for an episode format. So thanks, Al. We really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, I didn't read Saga as it came out. So I missed a lot of those to be continued because I didn't start reading them chapter by chapter. Gosh, I don't know, probably in like volume six or volume seven. Like I, I jumped on the Saga train pretty late. So there there are a ton of old costume contests, I'm sure, that I 
have no idea about. It would be fun to go back and check those out again. Yeah, I actually, my first thought was there's got to be a way to digitally collect them all into like a big comic book file and then like share that amongst all of us. If only there was some way to do that. Oh, right. I bet somebody has done this already. I bet <laughs> out there on the internet somewhere, somebody has scanned and collected together all of the to be continued. Or maybe not. Maybe we'll do it for our community. We also got another email from a listener who's written in before. This was from Bailey in Seattle. They wrote, quote, you were asking a while back about ideas for what to do when you're finished reading through back issues. And I wanted to suggest deep dives on characters and character arcs. Mm. Prince Robot the Fourth has a fantastic one. And your discussion about how he treats the others on his ship as expendable commoners made me think about how much he changes as time goes on. Not a spoiler, characters change. Uh, and how much he doesn't change at all. <laughs> so I love this. Uh, Abu, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, character deep dives are definitely on the brainstorming list for future episode ideas. I think it would be a ton of fun to go back and look at a character's arc from the very beginning across every single issue that's been released so far and explore sort of the ups and downs and the themes that each individual character represents. And then, you know, maybe pit some characters up against each other. <laughs> who, who could beat who in a arm wrestling contest <laughs> we could turn this into uh, a march madness bracket for next year actually. <laughs> i'm into it yeah great idea bailey you all have some great ideas uh we have loved hearing them and we'd love to hear what the rest of you if you have any ideas for the show or just really anything at all we'd love to hear more you can always write into hazel's story at loreparty.com that's with two s's and in addition to writing emails, remember, you can always uh, shoot us a voice memo and we could include it in a future episode. So if you just record a voice memo of yourself on your mobile device and then just email it as an attachment, we can put it into the show and we would love to do that. So Hazel's story at loreparty.com and that's two S's. Never forget. <laughs> Bailey and Al have figured out the two S thing. Everyone else can too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's housekeeping. That's listener emails. The game plan for today's episode is the same as always. We're going to start with a brief summary of today's chapters, then we'll dive into a couple of takeaways and wrap up the discussion with our favorite panels and quotes. So let's take a short break, but don't go anywhere, folks. We're wrapping up Volume 5 right after this. All right, welcome back. It is time to get into chapter 28. And Abu, I feel like there's a cozy scene that greets us as we start this chapter. <laughs> it is cozy. Get your marshmallows, folks. We start chapter 28 with Sophie and the Brands. They're making some s'mores around a campfire, still presumably on Demi Monday. And Gwendolyn, Lion Cat, Sweet Boy are all catching some Zs. They're zonked. It's been a long day full of dragon piss, if you recall. <laughs> <laughs> the brand is telling Sophie all about abortions, which is topical considering what's happening in the U.S. today. And Sophie is learning all about freelance work and what it's like to kill a person. So a lot of adult conversations happening here, perhaps the first that Sophie is having in her young life. We get a sense in this conversation of how ruthless Sophie has become. She sort of brushes aside the brand's concerns about the Will's mission to kill an innocent family. And before we can dive deeper into this sort of troubling rabbit hole, 
the conversation is interrupted by Halver, who is the spider person. I wrote Spider-Man in the script, and I realized <laughs> yes. that I shouldn't say that out loud. That's confusing. Crossing comic book lines. This spider person who we saw looking down on the group in the last few chapters, mm-hmm. and he just kind of rolls up with a ton of guns pointed right at the brand and Sophie. So many laser sights. It's literally <laughs> like an 80s action movie. There's just like little red dots <laughs> yeah. swirling around everywhere. So we leave that scene, tense as it is, and jump over to the icy planet where Clara, Alana, and Hazel are being carried into the revolution ship after the revolution leader has like hypnotized them with his snake eyes or whatever he did in that like 1980s cartoon style in the last chapter. They dump (laughs) them in this kind of holding cell and Alana wakes up and Dango's in there with her and she starts pleading her case with him that they have to fight back and they have to get off of this ship. And Dango, who has become filled with some doubts about the revolutionaries, he's seen that maybe they're a little more extreme and maybe they're just driven by violence instead of an actual cause like the one he has. Uh, If only someone had told him (laughs) 10 minutes ago. Right. If only. If only. uh, He's he's an angry man and he's not, not great at listening. So Hazel then wakes up and this is the saddest thing ever, which she asks if her grandma is dead, uh, which it, you makes you just realize how much death Hazel has already been exposed to that her first question is yeah. not like, you know, Nana's sleeping. It's, is grandma dead? <laughs> which is, yeah, just fucking intense. Alana sees her kid, grabs her, hugs her and says, no, no, Nana's just sleeping, which is true. She's fine. And that everything is going to be great, which of course it's not, but that's what you say to your tiny human. Right. After that scene, we jump to the Stalks ship where Goose finds Yuma crying in her bunk. And because Goose is incredible, he tries to comfort her as she tells him how she's feeling worthless. She's feeling really down right now. And Yuma tells Goose, hey, you're a sweetheart for trying to make me feel better, which leads to this iconic close-up panel of Goose squinting and trying to look menacing, but actually just kind of looking really cute. And he says, quote, Goose has been a lot of things in his day, but sweet is not one of those things, end quote. It's so good. It's so badass. It's so so good. good. I love it. I love Goose so much. This heartfelt conversation is interrupted when the alarm goes off and Prince Robot IV yells at everyone to assume battle stations Mm. because, uh uh-oh, a ship from the robot kingdom has arrived to apprehend the prince. The robot soldiers actually tell the prince to stand down or they'll strip him of his titles and open fire on the ship. Quote, we're not messing around here, mate. Your old man is properly pissed this time. And quote. I definitely read that in like a salty British accent in my head. Like, we're not messing around here, mate. Your old man is properly <laughs> pissed this time. Just like 100%. Just like some sort of cockney sailor is like yelling at him. But also I love that they have clearly had to chase after Prince Robot so many times that they're like, this isn't like one of those times when you were in trouble. Like, you're fucked, dude. Yeah. Yeah. And it actually gives Prince Robot the fourth pause because he's like, wait a second. They wouldn't open fire on me. They wouldn't strip me of my titles. Right. Like, my father would not actually harm his own son. And then the soldiers lose patience and open fire. Yikes. We then quick cut back to Demi Monde, where we've learned that Halvor is actually the older brother of the stock, whose real name is apparently Enrietta, which is delightful. Yeah, that's a cute name. (laughs) 
he gives our heroes an eardrum made from the same creature that the stalk's ship is made out of because that's what they're trying to find. And Halvor assumes that Sophie can use her sort of like hearing sensory ability to help track down the ship and bring justice to his sister's killer. Sophie reveals that her hearing isn't so great anymore, which means like her tracking powers aren't working, which is why it's so hard for them to find everybody. Halvor then gives them directions to the dragon's lair so they can get the dragon jizz and (laughs) (laughs) explains how he can't be the one to hunt down the prince because he's got his own family to worry about. Quote, I can barely keep my extended family fed, much less properly avenged. So he's basically like, I can't risk anything. I got to go take care of my kids. And so he bails, which sucks because I thought the idea of him shooting all those guns might have been kind of badass. Yeah. Also, like, what? This was such an awful sales pitch from this guy where he was like, here's an eardrum. Go kills the person who hurt my family. Yeah, it was it made a it was a little bit odd because it was like, well, wait, why is he even there? Like, yeah, it felt a little bit like a red herring plot line that was dropped in. And then it just sort of was like, oh, well, see you later. Yeah, true. Well, back on the revolution's ship in the next scene, the snake man leader, whose name is Quain enters the room to take Hazel away. And we learn that he plans to use her as a bargaining chip with either Wraith or Landfall, whoever wants to do some bargaining, to trade for the release of his captured fellow revolutionaries. Alana, understandably, goes berserk on the blue fish lady, mm-hmm. whose name is Julep, and is only stopped from straight up murking her when Quain uses his hypnosis eye thing again and stops her from killing Julep with Julep's own sword. Mm. Alana has such intense mama bear whenever something is like potentially going to befall Hazel and it's it's terrifying. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to see that come to a breaking point in a little bit later. <laughs> yep. But back on the ship, Marco and Prince Robot the Fourth are in this life and death laser space battle thing. And I love the weird little detail here where like Prince Robot the Fourth's fingers go into the control panel. Because of course, like why would he push buttons? Yeah. He's a robot and he can just <laughs> interface with the machine. But I had never thought about that before. He just pulls this like straight, like, yeah. I don't know, creepy Slender Man fingers thing. Yeah. It was a little terrifying. USB fingers. <laughs> yes. USB fingers. I love it. So... They're in this battle. They're trying to control the ship. Suddenly their engine takes a hit and then Yuma and Goose run off to go investigate it. And they realize that there's a fuel leak and that it will blow up the ship at any minute. And then I I can only imagine how you felt, Abu. But when <laughs> Brian K. Vaughn had Goose step forward, ready to enter the burning hot engine room and sacrifice himself for the good of others. How, how did you feel in that moment? Oh my God, I couldn't breathe. <laughs> sheer panic i mean i knew what was going to happen because it's a bit of a like cliche movie storytelling thing but i also was like how dare you even insinuate that goose would be sacrificed in this moment i mean anyone can be killed in this book abu you just have to steal yourself for that eventuality but as you (laughs) mentioned in a classic movie trope yuma knocks him out with i believe a fire extinguisher which i love that there's like modern era (laughs) fire extinguishers which i would also like i think that would really hurt goose's head but regardless they do it movie style where you hit somebody with some traumatic brain injury and it doesn't affect them at all (laughs) yeah 
No concussions. No concussion, nothing. She knocks Goose out and then she gets into this flaming room herself to repair the leak and fix the fire that's burning up in the engines. And the chapter ends on this incredible full page panel of just this completely stoned Yuma, a paintbrush in her hands, and the flames are consuming all around her as there's these bubbly pink letters that spell in all caps, high as Buck, which uh, when I look around for merch <laughs> for Saga online, like fan made merch right. or stuff on Etsy, there's a lot of Yuma high as fuck merch. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if I was a stoner teenager when this chapter was released, 100% I'd have a printout of this on my bedroom door. Absolutely. And that's it. That's the final panel and final page of this chapter. We then for chapter 29 start on the revolution ship as Queen, who is the robot man from G.I. Joe, it's all I can think of, <laughs> negotiates with Vez from Wreath High Command for the release of, quote, a few hundred brethren, unquote. So he's trying to get a bunch of his freedom fighters slash terrorists slash whatever out of jail, and he wants to trade Hazel. Vez, however, notices Dengo behind and immediately changes her tune and says she refuses to negotiate with, quote, those death machines, which you can't mm. quite tell if that's like some form of racism for this universe that like she won't deal with somebody because they're a robot or if the yeah. robots have just like been like Terminator style death machines to people on her world. And so, of course, she wouldn't deal in any way. Yeah, that was my question as well, because I don't know, it felt like a little bit of racism against Dengo and the robot kingdom. Right. But Vez is also like very involved in this war and I'm sure has seen atrocities. Right. Committed by the robot kingdom. So it could be both, I think. Maybe that's what like one robot soldier on the battlefield can do that. And so as a result, it would make sense if Vez was fucking terrified of just one robot yeah. and not wanting to deal yeah. with them. But we don't get time to confirm any of that headcanon because instead, Queen decides to solve this problem, <laughs> Vez not wanting to deal with Dango, by just ordering Julep there in the room to kill Dango, which is like a record Oof. scratch moment. And Dango's like, ah, fuck, these terrible monstrous murderers appear like they might murder me. Uh, if only someone had told him 10 minutes ago. <laughs> if only. In the next scene, on Demi Monday, we're back with our heroes and they have arrived at the male dragon's hideout. Only to find him masturbating, I think. <laughs> I mean, is what that giant full page panel. Is. I guess so. <laughs> this has turned into a game with me and my wife as I'm rereading through these chapters, where every set of chapters, there's some panel that I show her that's just like yeah. gratuitous, otherworldly sex thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's now turned into a thing where I was like, and I showed it to her earlier today, and I was like, what do you think of that? And she was like, huh. <laughs> Seems like he'd want to get more than the tip in there. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oof. Okay, anyway, moving on from that visual. The team decides that the best plan of action is to wait for the dragon to... Okay, here's another visual. Wait for the dragon to finish <laughs> and then sneak down and retrieve the sample of semen that they need. The brand says that she'll be the one to sneak down. She's the most experienced one here. But Sophie is argumentative she's like mm -hmm. no wait i'm smaller i'm quieter let me just bilbo baggins down there and get it myself <laughs> totally but the brand is of course not having any of it before we can find out any of what happens though we quick cut back to space where prince robot the fourth and marco realize that the engine has been fixed and marco then wants to stay and fight this giant 
circular Star Destroyer-esque <laughs> right. ship that's a thousand times their size. But Prince Robot Fourth decides to hopscotch away, which is this universe's version of slip space or hyperspace or, you know, punch it, Chewy. A heartbroken <laughs> goose then returns to the bridge and informs Marco that Yuma has sacrificed herself so that they could all live. And before they can, like, even process that, a giant ice rock slams into the ship because... Here's the thing, when you hopscotch without doing all the calculations or whatever, you don't know where you're going to end up, and they crash into a giant rock, which slams into the ship, makes the control console explode, and hurls Prince Robot out of his chair, the ship veers off course, and it starts to crash land down to the planet's surface. It's just worth noting that Upside Down Goose in this panel is somehow even cuter than Right Side Up Goose. <laughs> it's incredible. Who thought it'd be possible? Moving on, back in the Revolution's ship, Alana begs her captors to let her say goodbye to her daughter. But, of course, they're not having any of it. We actually learn about one of the captors, Ziz, his tragic backstory. Put a pin in that because we'll touch on this later in the takeaways. And Alana pleads her case. She tries to win over the other captor, Lexus, by telling her she played zipless in the open circuit. Lexus is a big open circuit fan, apparently. <laughs> totally. Tragically, we learned that Alana has been recast. There's another Zipless out there. No love for art or performance. Yeah, it's a hilarious moment. And I liked that in this like pretty dark chapter where there's a lot of bloodshed and scariness. It was a kind of a cheeky moment of levity in an, in an otherwise like very scary set of chapters. Oh, totally. So then back on the bridge, Clara ends up taking a sword zap to save Dango's life. How many times is Clara going to do this where she like, gets <laughs> blasted to save somebody's life. She's this is badass. like her move. This is oh, her yeah. signature move. Her move is like, oh, is somebody in mortal peril? I will throw myself on the grenade. <laughs> yeah, amazing. This ends up being the final straw for Dango about the revolution. So he then turns on them and goes again, all super RoboCop style, yeah. and just starts blowing people's heads off. So he kills Quain and Julep and tells Clara to take Hazel and you know get off of the ship and get back to the treehouse. Yeah, finally, Dango thinking straight. All right, we ended this chapter in this final scene on Demi Monday, where the male dragon has taken care of business and is finally asleep, and the brand is preparing to jump down and retrieve the semen sample they need. But, uh-oh, Sophie has already snuck down and is tiptoeing her way towards the dragon when suddenly the dragon wakes up. Everyone jumps into action at this point, and the brand is... <laughs> instantly eaten by this dragon. <laughs> like, blink and you'll miss it. It's one of the most sudden turns of action in the entire series, where all of a sudden it's just like, yeah. no lead up, no nothing, just... <gasps> yep. Like, I was convinced for a little bit that it hadn't actually happened and that it was illusion or something, and it was like, oh no, 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 they dead. Yeah, it's wild. I'm going to talk a bit about this later in favorite panels and favorite quotes, too. The Brant, dead. Gwendolyn then reacts and releases a giant flash of red lightning at the dragon, which doesn't seem to like really harm it, but more so scares it away. The chapter ends on this absolutely gut-wrenching full-page panel of Sophie kneeling next to what is left of the brand, which is just her bottom half, and a passed-out Gwendolyn. Mm. Sweet Boy is also here, just howling in agony, and ugh, that breaks my heart to see him just standing next to his partner or what's left of her. I almost picked this for my favorite panel just because it's so evocative. It's one of those like where your eye scans all the way through the panel and by the time you get to Sweet Boy, 
like howling like yeah. that, you realize that like your brain has made up that sound. You can hear that sound uh, in your head. And oh, it's just like yeah. that slow crane shot as it pulls back. Uh, it's fucking amazing. Perhaps it would lend itself well to animation if somebody wanted to undertake that. Perhaps it could go well. Perhaps. <laughs> Throwing it out there. So that was the end of chapter 29. Here we go into the last chapter for this volume. So Marco wakes up in the wreckage of the crashed ship and he and Gus kneel next to a possibly dead Prince Robot IV. Ignoring Gus's pleas to help Prince Robot, Marco grabs his weapons and like takes off towards his family. And Hazel's narration here is so poignant during the scene, but the last bit is amazing where Hazel narrator says, quote, together my parents had learned to be much more than the sum of their parts, whatever that means. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of hazel attitude in there at the end but that's a big theme for all of the chapters today but in particular chapter 30 and we'll touch on this later in the takeaways as well that narration then transitions us beautifully to the revolution ship where a crazed alana hurls herself at ziz she grabs a grenade off of his belt and threatens to uh, basically blow everyone in the room to hell unless they let her out I do want to call out that I didn't make this my favorite panel, but I almost did. Huge props to Fiona here for the art, because the way Alana is drawn, she looks truly deranged, like just a hair's breadth away from snapping completely. Otherworldly. And this is yet another punch on our number of times that Alana or somebody says that they'd rather see Hazel dead than captured, because it happens yes. so many fucking times. Too many times, frankly. <laughs> Alana's captors decide, uh, okay, she's not looking so great right now. Let's not risk this grenade explosion. Mm -hmm. And so they let her go. And she immediately runs into Dengo in the hallway. Dengo asks Alana to accompany him to go get some fuel. And he reassures her that Clara and Hazel are safe. Don't worry. They're headed towards the treehouse. We're all good. We're getting out of here. Come help me with this fuel. But in the worst switcheroo ever <laughs> these panels made me want to scream uh, clara and hazel are actually headed the other way back toward the room where alana was just held captive because they're out here trying to save alana and of course they run into ziz and lexus who are still in that room and uh are captured once again awful <sighs> yeah long sigh so we shift a little bit outside the ship where we find Dengo and Alana have gotten a hold of this fuel cube, but then they run into Surge and Frendo. Dengo zaps Surge with the sword, and with their dying breath, the countless lives encased within the armor of this giant robot, I don't know, steam pot man? Yeah. <laughs> that have been apparently encased within the armor, reveal to Alana that Clara and Hazel never exited the ship. I don't know how they know that or what the fuck Surge's backstory is, but we need this spinoff comic, please, Brian. What yeah. is the planet that Surge is from? And like, what happened to them? And how did they get in this robot body? I don't think we'll ever know, but truly just so much awesome shit there. Yeah, I need to know the lore of Surge. It's killing me. Seriously. So here's the issue is not only did Clara and Hazel never get off the ship, but they're about to blast off. So oh boy, Ziz and Lexus decide to cut their losses and get the fuck off this planet with their captives. Alana loses her shit at Dango, calling him an offensive R word, which we learned Dango is extra sensitive to because his son had special needs. And then yeah. Alana, in a moment of, again, pure mama bear rage, 
pistol whips him with the gun and screams, fuck your dead kid. Oh my God. Which is maybe one of the worst things you could say to someone who's been through what I imagine to be the worst trauma that a sentient being can go through. I just, yeah. Dango man. Oof. Cannot catch a break. <laughs> Cannot catch a break. It, it's a tough look all around. Mm-hmm. And we can truly see how Alana has just snapped. It's all too much, you know? She has just snapped at this point. Dango is on, on his hands and knees begging for his life as Alana is basically not listening. She's getting ready to pull the trigger when suddenly Marco appears. And this notably mirrors an earlier scene earlier in the story when Marco almost killed a man and Alana stopped him. If y'all remember that from very early on in volume one or two, Alana explains the situation to Marco and says to him that she wants to see Dengo die Mm -hmm. in this moment. And Marco agrees but instead, they embrace each other, dropping their weapons as Marco says, quote, but that's not who we are, end quote. Oh, my God. What? It's also one of those good page flip reveals where yeah. like, you see on one on the bottom of like the right side page that something terrible is going to happen. And then you turn the page and you get this full page spread of them just in this deep embrace. Yeah. And. The pacing, Beautiful. just the way that they're able to create this effective pacing with just literal page turns. Yeah. It's incredible. It's such a beautiful moment. <laughs> Unfortunately for Dengo, it d- turns out that Prince Robot IV survived the ship crash. He is alive and well, and he arrives and mercilessly hand cannons Dengo without a second thought. Dengo has some like prepared speech. He's been waiting to tell the prince this entire time. The prince couldn't give two shits and doesn't even listen to a word of it. The exact exchange is actually kind of funny. It's like weird, macabre funny. So yeah. Prince Robot the Fourth says to, I guess, Alana and Marco, quote, is that the animal that took my wife from me? And before anyone can respond, yeah, like you said, Dango starts to like kneel and say this speech about your highness, I've waited. And he wants to tell Prince Robot about his son who died. And Prince Robot just says, fascinating. And then, yeah, hand cannon cuts him in half. <laughs> Which yeah. is just like, God, he's such a piece <laughs> of shit. Right. <laughs> but he's also kind of cool. Why do I like him? Oh, I mean, it is. It's the droll, like, very proper way when she, in which he goes, fascinating. And then just blows <laughs> yeah. him in half. Yeah. I mean, we all knew he was not going to hold back here. Dango didn't stand a chance. R.I.P. Dango, despite all of the bloodshed and child abduction, <laughs> you were a real one. You were the casualty of trauma and class struggle and this war in a chaotic universe, and you will not be forgotten. So after murking Dango, Prince Robot IV runs to embrace his son, I think for the first time. Is this the first time he's ever seen his kid in the story so far? Yeah, he's never seen him before. That's why I think he says something like really stoic, like, my boy, yeah, or something like that. Yeah. And Marco and Alana are just kind of in the background, <laughs> stunned and taking in the scene. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's like happy, sad, tragic. It's a cocktail of emotions for them, I'm sure. It's true. Like they're so happy to see each other. But Prince Robot also just cut this poor man in half who'd only suffered trauma <laughs> through his whole life. And so they're reminded also yeah. that like Prince Robot the Fourth is kind of terrifying. And that their partnership was a partnership of convenience to get Prince Robot the Fourth to his child. And like that's happened now. So right. now what happens? Before yeah. we can find out though, we cut away from that all the way back to where we find out what happened to the will who is in a hospital room 
waking up from his coma. The dragon semen did whatever it needed to do. <laughs> I really hope there wasn't an IV involved, but then I'm like, well, orally is worse somehow. So yeah. I don't know. I should probably not think too much about it. <laughs> Things do quickly go south, though, with the Will's recovery because he learns that in the process of getting what they needed to save him, that his sister has been killed. Yeah, And he just explodes at Gwendolyn and Sophie, telling them to get the fuck away from him. And then we get a top-down wide shot, sort of the end of this arc in the scene where Sweet Boy is standing beside the bed as the will breaks down just in total grief, like hands on head, like just unable to deal, like just woken up back to the world to find out his sister, who I guess he was a little estranged from probably, didn't seem like they talked in a little while and now he'll never get that chance. Yeah, but also a sister that I think he definitely had a better relationship with than anyone else in his family considering he named Sophie Sophie. And we know right. the brand's real name is Sophie. So he like named this girl after his sister for right. a reason. Well, and, and maybe she was like the last person who he cared about on the earth, right? Yeah. Because the stock is yeah. dead and now she's dead and maybe he has no one. Right, right. It's, it's a heartbreaking scene. Ugh. So chapter 30 and volume five ends on a final scene where we are in some unknown facility and a cricket lady <laughs> sure. enters a room of horned kids in some sort of school slash prison setting, seemingly for orphans of war, it looks like. Yeah. Adorably, Hazel is balanced on top of a table in an oversized pineapple shirt, and it seems like she has aged up a little bit, so maybe there's a bit of a time skip happening here. Yeah, her horns are a little longer. She's taller. Like, you couldn't carry her like a toddler anymore. She's like a full-on school-age kid. Exactly. But where she is and how long she's been there and how long has it been since Marco and Alana have seen her, those answers will have to wait until the next volume because that is the final panel of Volume 5 and Chapter 30. And that wraps up today's reading. Such a wild ride through the end of volume five. We're going to talk about our big takeaways from these chapters, as well as our favorite panels and quotes after a quick break. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone. Let's dive into our key takeaways from today's reading, and then we'll wrap up with our favorite panels and quotes. Alan, I wanted to start by sharing my first takeaway. I wrote way too much in the script for this, but bear with me, because I think this is an important one. My first takeaway from today's reading was that it's clear that every character has got a painful past which they are using to justify their actions, both good and bad. And today's chapters show us just how fine the line it is between our heroes like Alana and Marco and the villains like the Revolution crew. All it takes is one bad day to cross that line. So I want to break it down. First, let's take a look at our villains really quickly. Mm -hmm. We have Dango, who we know has abducted not one, but two children mm -hmm. <laughs> ever since we've known him. Yep all because of a truly tragic backstory with the death of his son. We don't learn much about Quain except for one throwaway line that hints that perhaps in a past life he was forced into fighting by the horns. Mm -hmm. But we do get 
snippets of tragic backstory for the other members of the revolution. We learned that Lexus's parents were killed by the wings when she was just a child. Serge was stuffed, quote, into that tin as a kid by the horns. And Ziz's entire family was killed at his brother's wedding when the mm. wings dropped a payload on the celebration. So all of these people have suffered loss because of this war and clearly have deeply traumatic childhoods and pasts. Mm -hmm. But what makes them villains in this story is they're now using this pain that they carry with them to justify causing even more suffering. We learned in the previous chapters that the revolution has bombed daycares and is notorious for acts like beheading concert goers. Mm -hmm. And for them, it's all in the name of ending this war that turned their lives upside down. So they're using their trauma to justify more pain, more violence mm -hmm. in the universe. Now, if we look at the flip side of that, we have our heroes, or heroes in quotes. <laughs> First up, Prince Robot the Fourth, maybe the least hero of the heroes team, is out here on an illegal mission to avenge his wife's murder and try and save his son. We already talked about in the last episode how the line seemingly doesn't exist for him. And we see that in action when he doesn't bat an eye at absolutely murking Dango without a second thought. He's out here doing whatever it takes to be reunited with his son. And by the end of this volume, he is. We also see in today's reading how both Marco and Alana kind of devolve into the worst versions of themselves when they are together. Marco in these chapters has straight up almost beaten a man to death. He has tried to charge headlong into a battle that they obviously would have lost. That ship was enormous. Yeah. He's taking nearly lethal doses of drugs. And honestly, kind of like the least Marco part of all of this, he leaves a comrade to die in the dirt after the ship crash, even if that comrade is Prince Robot IV. Very un-Marco-like behavior. Similarly, we see Alana, who is usually very action-oriented, very confident, almost paralyzed by fear in this volume and just like waiting for her knight in shining armor Marco to come save them. She's making desperate suicidal moves and she obviously at the end nearly snaps and kills a man in cold blood after telling him to shut up about a stupid dead kid. These are not the heroes we've known in the last four volumes. We see them really drop to the lowest of lows. So to wrap up my takeaway, what is the point I am building towards here? Well, these chapters show us just how fine a line it can be between being a hero and being a villain. All of these characters I've listed have trauma. This war has affected all of them. But the difference is how they choose to use that trauma. The Revolution and Dango and even Prince Robot IV are all out here committing vile acts. They're choosing to perpetuate this cycle of violence. Violence was enacted upon them, so now they feel justified in enacting violence and suffering upon others. Our heroes, though, like Marco and Alana, they are choosing to break that cycle. And that's not easy. We see instances of both Marco and Alana nearly being pushed to the point of cold-blooded murder. And it's really their love for each other and for Hazel that has stopped them each time from crossing that line, crossing mm -hmm. a line that you can't come back from. And so to me, the sort of underlying message of all of this, and maybe the whole thematic message of volume five, is that love is the answer to how we break cycles of violence and suffering and death. And 
that's, I mean, that's a beautiful message. Totally agree. I think that that is definitely a huge theme of this entire volume. And I think that's the thing that happens more and more as we get through this story is that each of the volumes has more of a encapsulated theme or an encapsulated message where it's like in the beginning, they were setting up so much of the world, but now we've built out the world. So we just get to explore themes within it. And I, I totally love it. Yeah. For our second takeaway. So I was really struck in these chapters by just how unforgiving and ungenerous the saga universe is. This is not unique to these chapters in any way, but really comes across in a couple places. Acts of selflessness or heroism almost always come with some tremendous cost or consequence, usually death mm. of yourself or someone yeah. else. So <laughs> yeah. the first example is in chapter 28, where poor Yuma, who is deeply and tragically flawed, but decides that she will be the one to save Marco, Prince Robert IV, and Goose. And as a result of this like heroic decision, instead of receiving some excellent reward, she just burns to death stoned out of her gourd. Then in the very next chapter, we get poor Sophie, who just wants to prove how brave and strong and not helpless she can be, despite being so young. And I'm sure that coming from that forced sexual slavery, it's all about her having agency, and that's a big part of it. Totally. But as a result of trying to like do that, show her autonomy and agency, she immediately gets the consequence of the brand is bitten in half, and whatever badness happened to Gwendolyn when she's lying on the ground from the spell that she fired to shear off the dragon. So she's alone. Mm -hmm. So as a result of this act of selflessness, Sophie ends up alone, terrified, and the brand is bitten in half. And then in the final chapter, after Dango has a change of heart and kills the head of the revolution so they can all escape, he's doing what's right. His reward is he gets cut in half by Prince Robot IV's hand cannon, right? So yeah. all of these people are trying to do what's right, trying to do the right thing, and as a result, they're punished brutally. So what does this mean? Is this Brian and Fiona trying to tell us that <laughs> selfless acts aren't worth doing because you'll just get fucked over in the end? That even if uh, you are a good person, it doesn't matter because the universe is corrupt and awful. And no matter what any of us do, no matter what the Supreme Court might decide, that we're all powerless <laughs> and are just stuck with the awfulness that's handed to us? I don't think so. I think mm. in a super fucked up world like the Sagaverse, or in the our world for that matter. Uh, reality, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Even if you know doing something good or selfless is going to result in, in a hard or challenging or awful outcome, you do it anyway, because that's right. what it means to do good. And fuck the universe for making it so hard, but like that's not going to stop us. Not ever, not once. Like We're just going to keep trying to be the best people we can be. That's my rant. <laughs> wow. I love that. Another beautiful message in this volume. Absolutely. And to your point, actually, look what happens to Prince Robot the Fourth. There are multiple sets of parents in this volume trying to reunite with their kids. Mm -hmm. And the one guy who's out here just shredding people in two and trying to kick out his comrades out of an airlock because they're high is the only one who actually is reunited with his child. Totally. The one that's willing to cross any line necessary and nothing will stop him is the one that gets what he wants. And... Again, to your point, is that Brian and Fiona telling us, do whatever it takes to get what you want? I don't think so. I think Prince Robot the Fourth is a cautionary tale. And yeah. I, I completely agree. I think the, the takeaway from seeing all of these people commit selfless acts is that it isn't easy. If it was easy, then everyone would do it. But it took bravery on Yuma's mm -hmm. part to knock out my boy Gus, how dare she, and go in there and burn alive. It took bravery for Dango to, you know, 
finally listened to what Alana told him and turn on the revolution. Those are not easy acts. And if they were easy, everyone of these characters would be selfless. But I think the takeaway, you're, you're absolutely correct. Like it's a beautiful message about how being right won't always mean you'll win, but at least you'll still be right. And at least you'll still know who you are. That's that yeah. panel with Alana and Marco, right? Like they're true right. to themselves. They're true to who they are. And that's what's most important. Everything else aside. Okay. Uh, I love this story. <laughs> so all of that aside, <laughs> let's head on to our favorite panels. My favorite in these chapters, speaking of when Alana and Marco talk about how they aren't those kind of people, it's actually the panel where that line of narration is. Yeah. Where Alana and Marco, they finally get reunited towards the end of chapter 30 after Alana doesn't kill Dango. And there's just this amazing amount of majesty and drama in the presentation of this full page panel against the frozen landscape. But there's also just this way in which their two bodies are positioned against each other, like less like they're hugging and more like they're sort of falling into or like draped over each other. And each one needs the other to stay standing up. Yeah. And there's also just so much like kindness in the way Marco's arms are wrapped around her. And you can just feel it. Like it's effusive. It gushes the emotion. And it perfectly captures what it's like to go through really fucking hard shit with a partner. And you... You know, sometimes you hold each other. Sometimes you're literally keeping each other up. Yep. You fall into each other for comfort and you hold each other up for stability no matter what. And that's, I think, just captured so beautifully by Fiona here in this one panel. Yeah, it is. Th this is the panel. I tear up in almost every reading that we have to do for these episodes. <laughs> Revealed. This is the panel where I teared up. <laughs> yep. It's so beautiful, especially if you're someone who has a long-term partner and you've experienced these ups and downs with them you know exactly the emotions taking place in this panel. Yep. And it's all portrayed in the art here. It's beautiful. My pick for favorite panel today is the one where the brand gets eaten. <laughs> <laughs> Just because it's so sudden that I remember the first time I read these chapters, I borrowed Saga from the library and I flipped back to see if I either missed a page or if there was a page missing, like someone had torn out a page by accident or something. Because it truly is just like a blink and you miss it moment. Right. And it's a brilliant use, just sort of looking at the page itself, of two very large panels. Because right. it's the, the top half of the page is this large panel where everyone is sort of jumping into action and you're like, all right, here we go, dragon fight. And the fight is over before anyone <laughs> can do anything, you know? Right. Like the dragon chomps down, the brand is... 50% gone. The other like sort of horrific detail in the art here is just how clean the cut is. Like there's not a lot of gore and blood and viscera. And that's nope. not because this comic is trying to be PG. We know Brian and Fiona are okay with gore in yep. these pages. That to me tells me just how dangerously sharp and mm -hmm. strong the dragon's teeth must be that they literally tore through this human in the cleanest Right. Cleanest cut possible. Like a pair of scissors through a piece of paper. Just like snip. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a horrifying panel and one that kind of takes you back the first time you read it. And, and it took me back this time, too, because I forgot it happened. Yeah. I, I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> so that's my pick for her favorite panel. Yeah. There's also this horrifying aspect to it that in that panel, the only other thing besides dragon teeth and half a person is the very clear background image of Sophie looking directly Ugh. at 
the brand when they're chomped in half. So like, you know, oh, this is, it's just like hammering you over the head how much this is going to now affect Sophie going forward. I I also love how the brand gets cut off mid-sentence because you're right. They're like charging in, get the hell away from, presumably to say her. And uh, before they can even say that, chomped in half, which let's be honest, if you're going up against a giant dragon and you just charge towards it like action movie (laughs) or like manga style, you're just going to get eaten. You're just going to get chopped in half because it's big and fast and it's a fucking dragon. The dragon's just going to eat you. You're basically a, a gerbil to the dragon. Yeah. Look, Bilbo had the right idea. Is all I'm saying. Truth. All right. What about your favorite quote from today's reading to wrap up today, Alan? So for my favorite quote, it's actually the whole little very brief mini backstory we get for Yuma over Mm. the panels of her death, all via Hazel narration. And it's just like a little amazing short story. So I'm just going to read the whole thing. It's a long quote, but I just I just love it as just like a little short story. Yeah, it starts. The last thing Yuma ever wanted was to be a soldier. She always thought it was way too easy to convince young people to forfeit their lives playing hero. And after her childhood hero was killed in combat, a grieving Yuma eventually declared herself a, quote, sensualist. Amidst a galaxy of misery, the artist dedicated her life to chasing pleasure, avoiding pain, and helping others do the same. Yeah, she wasn't always perfect, but who the hell is? So here's to another victim of this goddamn war, a woman who at least managed to die exactly as she lived, high as fuck. I love that. It's just so good. It's like I, 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 at this point, I'm like Brian, write a novel already, man. Come on, <laughs> like if the guy from the Mountain Goats can write novels as well as writing 700 songs or whatever, you can write a novel along with like the other things you got going on. I, I'd read yeah, it. that is amazing writing, and I can't wait to do a Yuma character episode. Honestly, so much because there's all these little notes and details you get, but like even just in this one, to think about what it would mean to be a pacifist artist in this war where 95% of it seems what everyone is doing all the time has to do with the war. Right. It would have to be like a pretty extreme move to make. And we find out just how sort of extreme that's been that Yuma has this whole mentality of being a sensualist. And that's why she does a lot of drugs. And that's why she's always trying to experience things and create art because that's just like her reaction to the horror of this war. Similar to everyone else in this chapter who's affected by some past trauma and their reaction. So for Yuma, instead of becoming a murderous revolutionary, she becomes a stoner artist, which to be honest, if more people became stoner artists instead of (laughs) going off to war or committing awful violent acts in retribution, I think we'd all be all right. I think so too. We'd at least all be high as fuck. What about you, Abu? <laughs> what was your favorite quote? My favorite quote from today's reading was Hazel's narration for actually your favorite panel. This just wrecked me, absolutely wrecked me. When her parents are reunited, Hazel's narration says, quote, there's no graduating from this kind of education. Couples just keep growing and changing until they either break up or die, mm-hmm. end quote. And this just, this idea of couples growing together, big theme in this volume, but particularly in chapter 30. It's so clear to us how much better Marco makes Alana and how much better Alana makes Marco. And the way we see these two lovers fall into each other's arms, as you described from your favorite panel, it's beautiful, especially after the trauma that they both have just gone through. Marco just survived a crash landing ship on a planet. <laughs> right. And and Alana just survived captivity and nearly death 
and watched her child get abducted. Like it's after what they've been through, seeing each other is what holds them together and stops them from absolutely snapping and breaking and falling apart. It's clear to us from this narration and from this panel that Marco and Alana have changed each other in countless ways, both big and small, on the page and off the page. They are better people because of each other. And as far as I'm concerned, that's love. That's the true nature of love right there. And I already mentioned how this panel made me tear up, but I'm like tearing up talking about it again. So there you go. I love it. I loved this theme. I loved this narration. It all just culminated into this beautiful Hazel narration plus the beautiful art by Fiona in this panel. Yeah, it's so, so, so good. And so, I don't know, just delightfully stated. And yeah, the just we're dealing with real, real life shit, relationships, death, trauma. So many great themes, so much more to explore. Up next for us on this show, we're going to do a quick reaction episode to chapter 60, which is the final chapter in what will eventually be volume 10 and the end of this first run of new chapters. It's also, yes. as a result, the final chapter before Brian and Fiona take a little publishing break. Usually at the end of each six chapter arc, they usually skip three to four months. So of course, only listen to that next episode if you're all caught up. But once again, and I'm I don't know. Maybe I'm going to keep imploring this. Maybe I'll stop. It's, this is super <laughs> annoying for me to keep telling people that you should read all the way through. Write us an email and tell me to stop and I'll stop. But I'm just saying <laughs> that the new stuff is so good. If you want to read ahead, you totally should. The new chapters are fantastic and volumes six through nine are really fucking rad. So yeah, catch up. I promise it's totally worth it. Absolutely. Well, friends, two minds can sometimes improve the odds of a podcast survival, but there are no guarantees. So leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and be sure to check out the other shows on the Lore Party Podcast Network at loreparty.com. You can also follow our network on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. Music on this show was composed by Lawrence Kelly, who makes all kinds of amazing music. Thank you for listening, and remember, podcasts are fragile things, but just like Alana, Marco, and Hazel, we'll all just keep on exploring and learning together until we either break up or die. <laughs>